more people actually learn machine learning, we'll actually be in a situation where we can say, hey, these type of traffic cam, face tracking type of models should be enacted and it should be used in this way and not that way. Welcome to AI Decodes the System podcast. AI Decodes the System is a series of podcast interviews with industry experts and everyday people who will help explain topics related to policy, tech, data, law, and other current issues in plain language. The goal of this podcast is to help close the knowledge gap in a world where misinformation is growing and to help us decode the system. Sit back and enjoy the show. Shane Ostry is a machine learning consultant who specializes in consumer technology. He is originally from the U.S. Virgin Islands and started coding at the age of 13. He created mobile operating systems and released them online for thousands of users. He's transitioned from traditional software engineering, such as operating systems, mobile apps, and websites, to machine learning. Shane attended multiple educational institutions from Georgia Tech to the Make School. Before even graduating from undergrad, he worked at various companies as both a full-time machine learning engineer and a consultant. He's also worked for large companies and VC-backed startups like Facebook, Reddit, Yelp, and Threadloom. Hello, Shane. Welcome to the show. Hey, Amber. How's it going? It's going great. I often like to talk about how I meet folks. And lately, a lot of my interviews are due to Clubhouse. So guys who are listening, I met Shane vis-a-vis Clubhouse, which is where all the tech folks tend to hang out. So that's where I go to, to find people and to network. So I'm super excited to talk with you today. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. <laughs> So as you know, the show is called AI Decodes the System because we really want to break down uh, difficult topics such as policy, technology, data, and law. Today, we're going to talk about technology, which is one of my favorite topics. And I love your background. I love that you started coding at the age of 13, which is something that I think all kids should be doing like at the age of five at this point or even earlier, right? Um, Starting to build computers and like really figuring out this technology thing. And then I love the part about you going from software engineering, which I think most people have an idea of what that is, to machine learning. But I don't think a lot of people know what machine learning is. Like, are you teaching a machine? Is a machine learning from you? So what is machine learning? Well, machine learning is actually a brilliant advancement that's going on right now. It started off in the 90s, but it started to really pick up now as technology, the hardware technology has started to advance Basically, with machine learning is the act of actually teaching a computer how to learn. And you can teach a computer how to recommend you items in your newsfeed, let's say Facebook. It can recommend you different products in a store, let's say Amazon. And it can even maybe do face tracking, face identifying through cameras. It's normally done through using math and programming to actually achieve these results. So I always say when we talk about anything related to different technologies that are able to identify like behaviors and things like that, that often feels kind of scary. And I know like thinking about things like AI, machine learning and these topics, folks are really like, what are you guys doing? What's going on with that? So can you talk a little bit more about the backing that goes into helping to train like a machine learning model? To keep it very high level... The features that are actually considered when training, let's say, machine learning models, like learn your preferences, look, we'll use Spotify as an example. If you 
want good music on Spotify, some data does have to be recorded, but it's not data that's too invasive, honestly speaking, when you think about it, when you truly think about it. The data that you can assume that takes in your preferences, such as, hey, what artists do you listen to frequently? What artists do you not listen to when it comes on? Like, hey, do you skip this artist anytime we recommend him to you? Or do you simply skip to the end of the song? These are the kind of factors that we take in. And let's say if you are friends with somebody online, we want to show you other people who are in their circle because there's a high likely chance that in real life you also know this person or would like to meet this person. These are some of the features that are considered. I love that they are using one, like your personal input data, and then also looking at some of the connections and networks to like make an assumption that I guess if you're doing these type of behaviors or you're connected with these type of people, you're most likely going to like X, Y, and Z. That's super cool when we're thinking about marketing, technology, and all those things as it relates to like targeting folks. So how is machine learning used in marketing and advertising? In marketing, it actually has been extremely helpful because in the past you would see, and if you're old enough to remember the TV days, you would see that a lot of mm-hmm. ads you saw on TV wasn't always specialized to you. Let's say you were the age of 15 or 14. You would not want to see an ad in car insurance. So thankfully- No, I still don't want to see an ad on car insurance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, I, can, I can understand that. <laughs> uh, but in the sense that you would like an ad to actually be relevant to you, If you care about hair or your skin, you want to see ads related to your hair or skin products. And in order to do that, the actual algorithms that power these models, they actually have to maybe consider which posts that you engage with most or with ads in the past have you engaged with most. Using some of that data, they could say, okay, let's try out this ad. Does he not like it? Okay, let's try out a different ad. And it slowly learns through a lot of like testing which one works best for you. That's super interesting to me. I had an interview um, a couple weeks ago with like a marketing data scientist. So she really talked about a lot of stuff around the data. And then the interesting piece about this is we're really looking at how machine learning can be used to identify certain things that are directly targeted towards you as a person. Can you go into how machine learning is used in personalization? So in personalization, things that it takes in would be if you're scrolling down your newsfeed and Twitter, you have a list of followers and some of those followers you engage with more or less. For Mm -hmm. the followers that you engage with less, of course, you wouldn't want to see them. Maybe they're followers you just follow out of the blue because of one tweet, but you're not actually sure if you really resonate with them. You preferably want to see tweets by people you actually care about, actually resonate with. So- Mm -hmm. Personalizing your newsfeed along Twitter, things that could be done are it could take in, let's say, which of the tweets that you've liked and maybe how long you spend reading that tweet. Because uh, something that's actually common behavior is if you see a tweet that you don't like, you tend to scroll by it pretty fast. You may read it right. for 10 seconds. That will be a threshold. But if you read it for more than 10 seconds, that actually kind of that's a signal to say, hey, this person actually might like this content. Even though you don't like it or retweet it, like actually click the like the heart button on Twitter, implicit signals like how long you spend looking at it can be data for the model because yes, there are explicit signals like, hey, this person likes it and click retweet it. But 
implicit signals, meaning signals without a direct action, are also important because some people like me don't actually 100% want to engage with the constant constantly. Let's say on Instagram, I don't actually like liking pictures constantly. I prefer just to scroll by and actually not show direct interest into like any specific picture. Mm. You're the people that stress me out. <laughs> I want to see it. I need the like, I need the heart on my content. But it's interesting you say that because a lot of folks are complaining now about like the Facebook algorithm. We're complaining about the Instagram algorithm. Reels is a little bit better. TikTok is amazing, right? Because you can get your content in front of more people. What are your thoughts on how these algorithms are now limiting in the ability to share your content with even just your friends? So when you say limiting, do you mean as in it prevents you from actually reaching more um, your organic audience without paid ads? Thank you for saying that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I definitely heard that a lot. And, you know, I've been advertising since high school. So I, I know, I understand the pain point of that. And at the end of the day, it is still kind of a business. Users don't realize that. You were given the choice of paying $50 per month for Facebook. Nobody would use Facebook. So they kind of have to make money some way. And the, like the best way possible is to make money off of the advertisers, honestly speaking. And I, I, this is views of my own, not, not of Facebook. But in my opinion, it's best to make money off of the advertisers. And even if you may lose a few advertisers, if you lose a few users, it's kind of a trickle-down effect where you start losing more and more users versus with advertisers, they would stay because as long as they're getting some ROI, they will stay. But users are kind of finicky and they tend to leave at any moment's notice. No, that's true. And to be fair, what you're saying is right, right? These companies are, they're tech companies that have a profit motive. They're not nonprofits that are, <laughs> or um, public sector companies, right? That are there just so I can share all my content and make money organically, right? They want me to, as a person who has a podcast, they want me to be able to pay for those ads so that they can benefit from this free platform. So I'm glad you said that because honestly, I didn't think about it that way. I was just being selfish because how Facebook and some of these other companies started for me. It was just like, hey, it's some college kids sharing information with each other. But the machine or the money making part of it has changed how that works. And I can respect that. Do I like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely something that has to be considered is that behind the scenes, there's always a cost. And in the tech industry, there are software engineers who are getting paid between 100K to maybe up to 500K per year. And oh, wow. the reason why they get paid so much is they actually keep the service afloat in the sense that the website can easily go down at any moment. Any website mm -hmm. you're on it actually takes continuous maintenance to actually have a website working constantly for every device. Because in the past, like back in 2013, some websites, they even look right on mobile. It's only mm -hmm. as time progressed that we said, okay, hey, we need to hire more engineers specifically focused on mobile in order for it to always look right on any new mobile device. Because each mobile device is a different shape, different size, different operating system, honestly. It takes a lot of money to run a software business, or even if it just looks like a simple website. I'm glad you put that out there. And I'm also glad you put out that salary because I'm always the one saying, hey, folks, technology is going to take a lot of job. The fact that a lot of folks, especially depending on where you live, can make mid six figures. I think that's super important for folks to think about. But the interesting thing about you is that you started as a software engineer, then you moved over to machine learning. How did you make that transition? 
Well, it involved a lot of studying, honestly. <laughs> but right. when I was in Georgia Tech, when I was studying computer science, I had a specialty. And my specialty was specifically artificial intelligence and human-computer interaction. So I already had an interest. Mm-hmm. Actually, before freshman year, I had an interest. As time progressed, I was taking more math classes. I was understanding a little bit more of how these systems work on a deeper level. And I already had the software engineering skills since I've been coding since 13, and it's more so now that I have the coding background, I have the fundamentals to build efficient code. Next steps would be, okay, what is the new limit for me? Because, I mean, software engineering, I kind of, I really understood it. I could build a lot of products, but then I was still looking for a new challenge, a new area to explore. And machine learning looked perfectly fine for me, honestly speaking. So it involves studying even more math studying more machine learning concepts. The concept of learning <laughs> is a concept mm-hmm. that you have to learn. Oh, so wow. honestly, it involved a lot of self-studying, a lot of studying in school. When I was studying at Georgia Tech, I was also taking classes there on machine learning. And then when I moved over to California, I was even studying classes over there at Dominican University. So it was a lot of studying going on, honestly speaking. No, that's good to know. And from what I hear, I hear you paid for your college. How did you do that? Well, basically, it was my senior year. I had a strong interest in marketing and advertising. I've always had an interest in marketing and advertising simply because no matter what business you're in, it all comes back down to marketing and advertising. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So ever since high school, I've always had an interest. So I ended up starting out the online fashion brand. It was a women's apparel brand. And originally, since I'm from the Virgin Islands, I Mm recognize my own uniqueness so I would sell things I noticed here on the island, but I was mm-hmm. selling abroad and special trends like Caribbean fashion I would sell. And I made 40000 from that that helped pay for my initial year of college. Oh, wow. And awesome. Yeah, it actually allowed me to expand my horizons of what's possible because moving from Virgin Islands to Georgia, that allowed me to see, okay, more things are possible. But then when I moved to San Francisco, it even widened my, my vision even more. So it's honestly been an interesting journey. That's crazy that in your senior year in high school, you were able to start a company, roll that out and be able to make $40,000 to pay for your first year in college. First of all, hats off to you. Most of us weren't even thinking about what we were going to do in college, let alone to start a business. So I really appreciate you for sharing that story. And hopefully it's an inspiration to the Gen Zers and folks who are in high school right now that can start companies, right? Because they have like all type of careers that weren't there for us when we were that age. A lot of folks are influencers. A lot of kids I know are making money off of TikTok. Some using Instagram and all these other platforms to make money. And it's just so interesting to see how technology basically opens a whole new realm for folks to be able to jump in and honestly create new jobs and create new money. So kudos to you for that work. I, I appreciate you for sharing that story. So for folks who are interested in learning machine learning, how would you advise them to learn these skill sets? I know you were talking earlier about a lot of studying and a lot of things that you had going on. But for those of us who may be like, hey, is this something we should do? What is your guidance? Well, machine learning, you can tackle it from the different problem areas. In my background, I tackled it from knowing engineering first and then building my math skills on top of those. Mm-hmm. But for some people, they might be highly academic already and just need to learn coding on top of their math skills to then become a machine learning engineer. So it really depends if like, if you're starting from scratch with no academia background and 
no coding background, then I'll recommend you take the coding route because, okay, I feel that at least after a certain amount of time of learning how to code, you can at least pay for your cost of living and then continue Mm -hmm. transitioning into machine learning rather than if you are starting from scratch and you go to academia route, you're going to have a lot of years of lack of salary before even getting into the machine learning engineer role that you like. Mm, That's a very good point. One of my girlfriends, she's actually taking a class right now and she's never done anything related to coding, some stuff in like statistics, but I know it's been hard for her. And one of the things I was talking to her about was like, for me, I understood things from like early coding, like back in the day, HTML starting there to understand how I get to like some of the languages that exist today. I think it's hard to jump in the mix right now and start in like a software like Python or any of these things. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, honestly speaking, I feel that like humans, humans are actually incredibly amazing. I feel that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. Yes, it might seem like a crazy forest of learning at first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, As you slowly just take a few steps in any direction, you will find the light. So in the sense of when I initially started coding, I didn't even realize realize that software engineering was a path. I simply just wanted to build something for my own enjoyment. And then just slowly over time, you kind of get those skills And you actually don't have to be the best. You just have to be the best of what you want to do. So if it's making websites, making apps, or making websites specifically for a specific use case, just be the best of what you want to do. That's a very good point, because I think a lot of times it does feel overwhelming, because even this topic, right, we're saying machine learning, that still is scary. (laughs) And most folks who listen to this podcast have zero to like zero, (laughs) honestly, zero uh, understanding of some of these technologies. So my goal is to really to introduce people to those things. And I'm appreciative of people like you who can break it down and say, hey, you can do this. This is something that I was able to do. You can do it too. Overall, why do you think it's important for listeners to understand how machine learning and and society will work together? Well, it's important simply due to the fact that as we move towards the future, it's going to be less of human-made, rule-based algorithms that's deciding it. And it's going to be more machine learning models making decisions based off of historical data. And if more people actually learn machine learning, we can use machine learning to its most effective capability because if every demographic and every person has at least a slight understanding of machine learning, then we are, we'll actually be in a situation where we can say, hey, we think that these type of models should be in place. Like, hey, these type of lawmaking models or these type of traffic cam, face tracking type of models should be enacted and it should be used in this way and not that way. But we can only make those rules if we have sufficient background understanding or else we're, or else we're just acting out of a uh, place of fear, honestly. That is so true. And one of the things that the listeners didn't get to hear is our conversation before we started recording. And I want to kind of not go completely into that, but kind of hit on that around like bias in different uh, models and things like that. So can you explain how biases can exist in models and why it's important for people to be at the table, specifically black and brown folks to experience the most bias in data? Okay, so to give the audience a little bit more background, I was working with a certain city government who had a history of 
using technology to make decisions. And one of the areas they were interested in using it was policing. However, we do realize that machine learning models, they make their decisions off of historical data. If the data in and of itself is biased, let's say that there were X number of crimes actually done in a society, but only 50% of them was actually caught or written down. And of that 50% is most of it actually only came from a certain demographic. Then the model actually learned that, hey, Everyone else doesn't commit crimes. Only this one demographic commit crimes. And Mm -hmm. you only are aware of these biases if you truly study the data. However, the data is endless. It's not fully possible to study it to 100% as a human. And the only way we can remove these biases is by having a diverse set of engineers, machine learning engineers, working together on these problems and actually figuring out, hey, from my background, these are the things that we should look out for. And then someone else says, hey, from my background, this is what we think we should optimize for. And it's only through this collaboration collectively that we can remove the biases that may negatively affect certain people. Because again, as I said earlier, the machine learning model only learns off of historical data. And if we had biases in our society, the machine learning models will only continue these biases in the future. And then in the future, we'll have the excuse of saying, hey, well, it's not a human making decision anymore. It's a machine and the machine isn't like against any specific person or a group of people. But something that should be considered is the machine learned from historical data. So it could only continue doing what has been done in the past. Something to think about. It definitely is. And I even want to say an example that I know is like in the news that most people know about thinking about even programs like Stop and Frisk in New York, right? That program was managed heavily by data, not necessarily machine learning at all, but it was the data behind that program was heavily skewed towards black and brown people. And it was basically saying that black and brown folks commit more crimes than other groups. So police targeted different parts of New York specifically based on that data and never look back to say, hey, we police these areas more. So of course, we're going to find more crime versus other studies that have happened across the country where they'll do traffic stops and pick the same number of folks across different demographics. And they found that even in like traffic violations or drugs on people who are driving, it was equal across all groups. But in places like New York, where you continue to police the same areas, you're going to find crime. Like that's what people say. Don't ask for something if you don't want to find something out. Right. But if you were to go into another part of the city, right, where the crime may not be the same types of crime, but you'll find another type of crime. So I know that program was heavily scrutinized because they were using data that was biased to make decisions. And I think you're right. I think we have to have folks in the room who look like the people who are often being targeted, depending on the situation. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. So like as I consult with them more and they decide their future goals with their technology that they want to enact, I, I'm just trying to do my part and help steer the conversation towards certain directions as a member who has a diverse background. Just trying to be the bridge between different worlds, technology and every other part of the world, honestly. That is awesome. And how can we keep in touch with you if we want to keep following what you're doing? Well, I'm primarily on three platforms. So primarily on LinkedIn, you can find me there by my name, Shane Ustry. You can find me on uh, Twitter. My tag name is The Urban Nerd. 
And you can also find me on Clubhouse. My name there is also Shameless Tree. So those are the primary platforms you can find me on. I love the urban nerd name. <laughs> Just to put that out there. No, but thank you so much, Shane, for spending time with us. And I'm looking forward to even more great things from you in the future. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, guys, you've reached the end of another episode of the AI Decodes the System podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll receive the newest episode every week. Now, if you love this episode of AI Decodes the System, please head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. The data from reviews and ratings helps more people get access to the show, so we need your help. And thank you so much in advance. Remember to follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and now Clubhouse with the handle AI Decodes. That's A-I-D-E-C-O-D-E-S. Join us next week as we decode the system one podcast episode at a time.